Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Nurtured Heart Approach June podcast. Today's podcast is a continuation of last month's discussion. We are in the middle of a really great podcast series entitled The Lifespan Journey with NHA, Inner Wealth for All Ages. The May and June spotlights are both NHA with 15 to 19-year-olds. We are absolutely delighted to have you join us on this lovely afternoon in June. I am Stephanie Rule, a certified NHA advanced trainer, teaching and coaching NHA to parents, teachers, and mental health professionals in the local community of the Roseville, Sacramento area, and I work for the Children's Success Foundation as the STAR Program Coordinator. I am also a wife and a parent of two children, ages four and eight, and we live in a nurtured heart household. Before I introduce our guest for this month, I do like to give just a quick 30-second or less thumbnail of what NHA is before diving into our discussion because we do have listeners who are new to Nurtured Heart. And this is what I like to say. NHA is an approach or a methodology that focuses on building and strengthening relationships in our lives. It's all about building inner wealth, not only in our children, but also in adults. Through the use of something that we call the three stands, so that we are all able to put our best, our best selves out there in the world. Okay. So I think it is time to introduce our returning guest speakers for this thought-provoking topic of inner wealth for all ages, focusing on the 15 to 19-year-olds. First, we have Catherine Stafford. Catherine is a licensed clinical social worker with a busy private practice in Mill Creek, Washington, and is a Nurtured Heart Approach advanced trainer, parent coach, and author. As a clinician, Catherine has worked with kids who present with challenging behaviors for over 25 years and has a passion for supporting children and teens with intensity. Raised as the daughter of a special ed teacher, Catherine has a special heart for those who are highly sensitive and or neurodivergent. Catherine is steadfast in her refusal to participate in the model of deficits, labels, and problems, and instead supports healing hearts and aligning kids with the best of themselves, both, both through individual counseling and parent support. The foundation of Catherine's practice is Nurtured Heart Approach, and she believes she would not be in the mental health field today if she had not discovered NHA. Catherine is also the mother of four children, a 20-year-old daughter, and three boys who are 18, 15, and 10. Nurtured Heart Approach has been the heart of her own family for a decade, and while not always perfect at living it, she credits her family's success to living the tenets of NHA every day. She is most proud of the love her children hold for each other, and particularly loves watching the kids navigate into teen and young adulthood with a strong sense of inner wealth. Catherine, it is an honor to have you back again. Thanks for being here with us today. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me back. Oh, of course. My pleasure. So next we have Alistair Gardner with a 28-year career in delivering outstanding outcomes for children and families Alistair is recognized as a leading international voice in transforming challenging family homes, educational, and childcare settings. Having held several high-profile senior management positions in the UK tirelessly to improve the life chances of children and young people, Ali is the managing director of the Nurtured Heart Approach UK, which is responsible for overseeing the successful implementation of the Nurtured Heart Approach 
across many childcare and educational services in the UK. With his specialization of working with children and young people who display challenging, aggressive, and violent behavior, he has been able to utilize NHA to dramatically reduce the number of challenging and violent incidents which occur in the family home and workplace. The main focus of his work is creating environments which can be free from conflict, physical confrontation, and restraint. Ali's extensive operational experience has provided him with the expertise in translating NHA theory into best practice. He empowers parents, educators, and child care practitioners to think creatively about implementing NHA strategies and techniques while providing clear, straight-talking advice on navigating situations of conflict. Ali is an engaging, informed, and humorous facilitator who travels internationally to deliver training on the operational implementation of the Nurtured Heart Approach. Ali lives in Manchester, UK with his wife, Lindsay, and his three sons, Cameron, 19, Finley, 17, and Brody, 5. Welcome, Ali. It's such an honor to have you back as well. It's an honor to be with you, Stephanie, again. Yes, we're very excited to... We had such an informative discussion last month about those teenage years and it was informative and it was it was thrilling and it was interesting and we had a lot of um, feedback from people wanting to hear more from you guys Um, so we are really excited that you were both and kind of sort of just pick up where we left off Um, I know last month we really in our last discussion we really focused on this sort of idea of parenting without fear in the teenage years. Um, and I know with, in light of everything that's uh, been going on over there in the UK, um, it really just kind of fits, fits into this conversation in such a perfect way, um, how to parent without fear in any situation, whether it's in light of a tragedy or just regular life situations. So I would love for both of you to kind of chime in and jump, just jump in with um, this discussion to start it off today. Who'd like to kind of jump in first? Boy, oh, Ali, I think okay. we both I, have that. You go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously we've had the um, outrageous tragedy that's occurred in Manchester mm-hmm. um, a couple of weeks ago, followed by what's happened in London last night. Um, which has kind of rocked our world over here in, in really strong ways, and and certainly, you know, I'm very close um, to the situation that's happened in Manchester. Um, you know, close personal mm-hmm. friends who had children at the events, um, and the worry and the trauma that has created, a, and a great feeling of loss, which was initially there in the community. Um, but kind of, you know. You know, if we go right back to the start of really, you know, whether we parents or care for children, I guess the biggest, you know, feeling we have is wanting to protect our children. You know, we want to protect mm-hmm. our children from harm. We want to protect them from bullying. We want them to protect them from the things that we, that we know go on in the world that we, we don't want them to grow up too fast yeah. to experience those things. But, and of course, the media and social media has been absolutely saturated with with news regarding these events, and um, mm-hmm. you know, children and young people, certainly the teens, uh, pick up on it. And you know, I've been asked uh, to go into 
you know, a large number of schools to actually talk about this. And um, last week I was in four schools um, to talk on this subject with groups because what the schools were seeing was the trauma of the situation that had happened. Um, and, you know, as an adult, you know, I, I feel that as well, that wave of, wow, you know, um, the, real, the really shook us all. Um, but but I, I suppose, again, um, you know, with, with this age group of young people, with, with their access to social media, and, uh, you know, they're fully aware of what's gone on. Um, but they're also fully aware um, that what's been going on in the rest of the world. And, and I guess that's been a huge thing that's come back. The feedback from the young people of the teens that I've been working with is that they talk about it, how it's kind of connected them to reality mm-hmm. because what they've been viewing over the last number of years um, in relation to what's going on in Syria, in Iraq, in, in Afghanistan, of those, those children and young people and families who are experiencing incidents like we experienced in Manchester every day of their lives, you know, they were talking to me about how that, that made them feel connected and they were worried for those children and families who were living in these places. So it was wonderful to hear that they were connecting to it in a way which they were showing empathy um, mm. in relation to these kind of incidents, not just to our community, but, you know, the response from the community has been wonderful, you know, especially in Manchester. We have a very kind of rich history of... Um, being resilient, you know, we've been bombed many times over the years in Manchester, and so this kind of community spirit and the feeling of compassion for each other um, has mm. been hugely um, noticeable. But you know, I, I had a parent on the phone today of a 17-year-old girl, and you know, she was saying to me, "Well, after the Manchester incident, I didn't want to say to her." you know, it'll never happen again. But she did say to her, well, there's a one in a million chance that you'll be involved in this. But then, of course, we had London last night. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of blows it out of the water that, you know, these things are real, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, and can happen and do happen in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I think there was definitely a kind of feeling of, um, again, it, it, it has to be fearless in these situations as a parent, you know, I would openly say that we need to be honest with our children about these situations that are taking place and that, you know, the world can be a scary place, but it also can be a wonderful, brilliant place. So I don't, you know, what I, my advice in this is when we're talking to children is, you know, just not be focusing on the disastrous side of this. Well, we can speak to children about how these situations also bring out the best in people. You know, people who um, out of nowhere supported each other, you know, who supported the police on the streets, gave people a bed for the night who were stuck in Manchester, gave free taxi rides to people to get them home. You know, all these things showed the wonderful side of people. But I think the Mm -hmm. danger is that if if we... Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is a bit, you know, what Howard talks about, like making a mountain out of a molehill. Yes, it's a tragedy. It is a tragedy. 
but life is still wonderful. People are still wonderful. The vast majority of the population of this world have great humanity and love for each other. And, and we, we can't live with trying to lock our children away from these situations. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful, Ali. It yeah. makes me think a lot, um, everything that you're saying, but it makes me think a lot about the, the tragedy that we had here in Portland a week or two ago that I'm sure everybody has heard about as well, where mm. a couple of girls were being verbally accosted and, and the three people stood up and two ended up being killed by that person. And um, they were 21 and 23, one that didn't die and one that did. And what what struck me hugely was, A, that it was two young people in addition to this man, of father of four, but the mother of the 23-year-old and how proud she was of her son. And that's what she spoke out to, exactly what you're talking about, is the kind of young human that she had raised and what kind of man he was. And when I think about Nurture Heart Approach, I think our goal for all of us raising these kids, whether it's starting in the teen years or looking at our teens who were little guys like you have, Stephanie, and and thinking the goal is having them know who they are, what kind of person they are, what do they stand for, so that when they're in a situation that is like the situation on the bus, is they're not bystanders and they don't sit back and let – you know, people treat other humans like that without doing something. And there's an inherent risk when you raise a child who says, oh, I won't stand for that, and I will put myself in harm's way for somebody else. But what an incredible source of pride this mom had. Um, it, just was, it was beautiful to me, sad and tragic, but beautiful at the same time. Mm. And isn't that what we want for our young people? Yeah, absolutely, Catherine. And I think the other part that's come across for me is what the wonderful thing that I've picked up from this age group in talking to them is what they've now really connected with. And I'm not going to get political in this situation, Mm -hmm. but people who appear on our TV screen spouting hate Mm -hmm. and discrimination across the board in different countries this takes place. You know, I think young people, what's been fed back to me is now they see, you know, how dangerous that is. You know, when people are whipping up a storm, and we've had people here in Manchester, it was a real opportunity for the, um, you know, the far right in, in Manchester to, you know, say, you know, this is outrageous, you know, it's the Muslims, you know, it's, it's Islam. And, you know, in here, you know, in Manchester, we, we had a huge um, gathering of people which was multi-faith, multi-race, all together, which, you know, ran them out of town, you know, we, we mm-hmm. were not having that. But I think what your people now, because, you know, in the approach, we, we talk about the power of language, we talk about the power uh, and the impact that language can have in a, in a positive and a negative um, framework. And I think having now young people who have been very close to this situation and now able to see more clearly how dangerous people who speak with hate uh, are. Mm-hmm. And, and so if anything good that can happen to this, I'm really hoping, as you say, Kathleen, is that, that young people can stand up and have their voice heard, you know, that they, they can feel strong enough. And this is why it is so important that we build this inner wealth in our children mm-hmm. so they can stand up and not have a knee-jerk reaction into, you know, into looking at what they see as the obvious fault of who's done this. But the reality is what we want them to do is use that in a well to show their compassion and role model and lead with love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
It's interesting. I'm sure you've had to go ahead. I'm sorry, Stephanie. Nope, you go. Go ahead, Catherine. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, Allie, because you have kids, I have kids that are this age, and I'm curious just about the kind of table side, dinner side conversation with your own children about these subjects. Um, I certainly had them with my kids mm-hmm. after the Portland incident. And, you know, would I want my kids to be the ones that step up or not? And if, you know, would I be willing to sacrifice my own child? And those are some really tough questions for us parents to mm-hmm. contemplate, you know, as yeah. we're raising these young people to go out there. And I think about Tammy, Tammy Fisher's book, Fearless Parenting, which is what we're talking about. How do we be fearless parents? But there is an inherent risk when we're raising these kids to be the ones who, who stand out there and say, I won't stand for this, whatever this might be. And they've got that confidence and they've got that inner wealth. And all three of my older kids were hands down, you know, saying that that's, of course, what they would like to think they would do in a similar situation. And it's that balance of pride and fear as a parent going, wow, this is the reality of the times that they are living in right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think with that inner wealth and that inner wealth is built in young people. So, you know, my eldest, uh, you know, Cameron, when we were talking about it, who's you know, quite a political young man, and mm-hmm. you know, he was very much from the he was very much from the standpoint, well, yeah, Dad, but I, I'm not stupid. You know, I will always judge the risk. You know, I have my views, I'll put it there, but I will always judge the risk. And so, what I was so pleased about that was he wasn't standing up and saying, yeah, I would have done this, I would have done that. Right. What he was actually saying was, yeah. But I'd work it out, you know. Um, I know it's a terrible thing. You know, I, I bring it up in my training, and sometimes it can hit a nerve. But, you know, the vast majority of young people don't want to die. Right. <laughs> you know, they don't throw themselves on the buses. They, you know, they don't jump from buildings. They, are, they, they, they make calculated choices on what keeps them safe as well. And so, you know, I, I think it, that it is just about that level of maturity and that inner wealth of strength to say, yes, I can say something in this situation, or at this moment in time, it might be wise not to, <laughs> you know. Um, but, but for me, this all feeds that. into the adult. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you know, but as adults, we're exactly the same. Sometimes yep. we put our foot in it, you know, and don't think, you know, we, are, we jump in sometimes where, you know, we think we're doing the right thing, but actually we can be harming people's feelings without just taking that breath of resetting ourselves in the moment and just kind of, you know, step back and then move in with what we're going to say. But, um, you know, so, so I, I do think, you know, that this, although this has been, a, a you know, an immense tragedy for, you know, individuals, families, loved ones and the community, um, all we can hope and what I'm kind of confident about is that this this will really kind of um, mobilize young people as well in a mm-hmm. sense of what is right and what is wrong, you know? And I, right. I really have that strong feeling that that, it, that is going to be the, the real sort of momentum, the force behind this now is that, you know, we will we won't let this cower us. We won't let this stop our life. We won't let this, this stop us enjoying ourselves, you know? Right, right. And I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, the kids who I see both in my home every day and the kids that I see in my office, it seems like this generation has a very strong moral compass. I'm, I'm just getting that vibe from the kids in my world that maybe it's more so than the generations before them or back to a few generations ago. I don't know what it is, but it, it does seem like this particular age group has a really strong moral compass as a, as a general rule. And it's, it's beautiful to see that. 
and experience that time and time yeah. again. Yeah. And Nurture Heart Approach, you're going to get back to this podcast. This is what we're doing, right? We're helping to raise kids who, who know who they are so profoundly from the inside out that that becomes, a, the phrase I say, their true north. That's their operating place, whatever they believe in, right? Because, like, you're not getting too political, but they have a strong moral compass for what they have, you know, beliefs in. It's making me think yeah. of the the um, the topic that I was going to bring up today, which is kind of a segue from what you're talking about, Allie, is, you know, we adults and what are we communicating? And I, jo- I jotted down a phrase, which was behaviors communication, which I always talk about as, you know, nurture heart approach is so good at us being able to interpret kids' be- behavior, you know, active recognition and interpreting their intent versus reacting to it. And I, I focus so much on that that I sometimes forget that my behavior as the adult communicates to kids too. Um, and I had a funny story this week. I told Stephanie I wanted to bring it up, which brought me a little bit to my humility again, which is I totally screwed up and I got to tell my daughter, great, thank you for this clarity for the podcast, which is, is what we're communicating, is the message getting lost in the way we're delivering it? And I think particularly with teens, when we're thinking about the things that we want to grow in our teens, whether it's a sense of competence or independence or the ability to problem solve or whatever it might be. And we had a situation where my 20-year-old had to navigate through a change in, in a schedule conflict that was kind of a big deal. And I kept coming back to her and, you know, are you solving this problem and do you need my help and are you sure you're doing it the right way? And clearly my fear was leaking through and, we had a couple of days where things were kind of tense, and finally she said, Mom, you didn't believe I could handle it by myself. And I thought, dang it. You know, my heart was not intending to have that be my message, but my behavior totally was. And so, you know, that, that was that reality check of we with these teens have to be really, really mindful of what are we communicating. And I know you talk about this a lot, Allie, with your hovering and that kind of stuff. Of are we mm-hmm. communicating a, like yeah. an assumed competence and success? Or are we communicating that there's some lack of um, confidence in our kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I hear that, Catherine, and I, I think I think that's that's true. Is through what we say, but it's also our body language in these situations. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, we, we transmit a lot, you know, um, that way. And so, there's elements for me is you know, if you are talking about independence, um, you know. We, we all want our children to be independent and sometimes we're running the race, you know, and we're trying to drag them with us in that race towards independence. And, you know, children don't like being dragged anywhere. You know, I'd like to see <laughs> that we're facilitating them, get, getting them the best running shoes to run that race, you know. It's, it's a kind of, um, you know, this is where I love for things to come under the radar, Mm-hmm. Um, with young people, that just that stilling, you know, when we come back to the recognition, um, which is really, you know, searching for what is what is showing me at this moment that this young person is showing independence, and instead of keep getting tripped up into the reactive way of when I don't see them being independent, that that's right. when I'll give them the pet talk, you know. And, you know, the work that I do with parents here, you know, on that situation, is, it, it really is quite difficult because it is that, it, it's the motivation for all of us, isn't it, as parents and carers, for wanting the children to be successful. And sometimes, you know, we want that to happen at our pace, you know, rather than letting, you know, see that blossom in the children and really nurturing their their journey towards independence because it's wonderful as a parent to see that journey. Um, I'm going to be honest, sometimes it's wonderful to see them making mistakes. You know, I love seeing my 
teenage boys trying to iron their shirts. You know, I just think it's wonderful. You know? <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous, you know, and it's, uh, I know it sounds silly, you know, but the, the only way they're going to learn to do that is because when, when one of their friends makes a comment when they're out, you know, um, right. about the state of their shirts. So, so it'd be so easy for me, no, you need to do it worse, you know, you need to do it that way, you, need to, you know, and, and I think the real joy that I get with my own children, but other young people that I, I work with, is seeing them trip up, make mistakes, you know, because what they're doing is problem solving. And, and I think that is the kind of, sometimes, again, as parents, that we, we need to, we need to hold back a bit, you know, let, let's see things flow. You know, we, we talk about how he talks about, you know, we can be the producer and editor and director, but there's different kinds of producers, directors and editors. We don't want to be the person shouting and screaming and micromanaging the children. Let, let's see it flow. Right. You know, right. let, let's sit back and allow children to make mistakes and, and look what they can learn and what we can learn to help them guide them forward. And it's really, really hard. So, Stephanie, I, I, I'm smiling and nodding and, and agreeing all the while going, and it's bloody well hard at the same time uh, when we think, like, oh, my goodness, the cost of this choice is going to be X, Y, or Z, right? And, you know, going back to the idea of giving up control, right? So we can't control yeah. their choices yeah. anyway. Stop trying. And I love that idea of give, giving up the emotional investment in the outcome, and you know when we're stuck in when we're mm. in this fearless this fearless world that or fearful world that we live in, every single time my kids are not under my four walls, something could happen to them. Whether they're driving or they're out with friends until two in the morning, or they're making decisions about college class selection or whatever it might be, there's some there's some profound outcome that could happen. And then reminding myself that they've been raised to make good choices and think things through and learn from mistakes and all that stuff. You know, it's a constant mm-hmm. battle every single night. Every I don't know about you, Allie, but every single weekend when I get the text saying, you know, I'm going to be home in a while, and I think, dang it, I'm, I can't go to sleep until you're in my house again. But this is exactly what they should be doing, <laughs> and it's so hard. So here's, here's another part with that, Catherine, though, and the way that I, you know, would chat to parents about it. I, I had to come to terms with it. Because, you know, it's great being a practitioner in the nurture part approach, and, you know, I go to different places to train people and to you know kind of role model the the work that I do but when I got home it was a bit of a different matter but then I had started having to look at myself and and you know so for for Cameron who's my eldest had a bit of a a rocky journey at times but what I do have to look back at is well how many times was he out and made good choices and I judged that by how many times did the police come to my door none how many times was he involved in car crashes? How many times was he brought back intoxicated once? You know, so all those times he is outside my door, you know, he must have been making great decisions because the option was there for him yep. to get involved in that kind of behavior. Yep. And and so instead of me kind of biting my nails, wasting my phone, long nights, what, what I knew was if Cameron turned up, whether he was an hour late, two hours late, three hours late, and on certain times didn't come back at all, yes, I worried. But when he came back, and, you know, he let me know and whatever. The reality was in that situation, he wasn't brought back by the police. 
right. he, he wasn't in a drunken stupor. He wasn't um, involved in violence. He wasn't involved, you know, so I think that that's the fearlessness, but that that's the kind of greatness about cleaning the lenses, isn't it? Um, yep. What do we class as success in this group? Coming back late is not great. We know that. But we also know, and I think we've also got short memories when we uh, reach adult life of the temptation of wanting to stay out, of having a great time, having an interest from another person your own age in relationship, right. you know, um, all those temptations um, is tough. And, you know, although, you know, I'd love, I would love my boys to come back on time every night, in some ways, I'm glad that they don't. And I mean that. I absolutely mean that because they are experiencing life, but they are contacting me to tell me they're not going to be coming exactly. back or they're going to be late. Exactly. You know? And this is where it comes back to that idea, you know, the clarity issue is we get to decide. We get to decide what we're looking at, toll taker, how we choose to look at the moment, and, you know, what we, what we look at and what we project back to our kiddos. And sometimes I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, sounds like you're having a great time and you're making great choices and I love that you're checking in. That was so thoughtful have a good time, I'll see you in the morning, or whatever, right? I'll see you in a few hours. And that's the beautiful thing about not being rigid with this age group of, you know, we come to agree upon a particular set of more or less general guidelines, and then there's some wiggle room in there, and we can talk about being flexible and that kind of stuff. At least that's how I roll with my, with my kids as well. And I love that. I love that ability to say yeah. I choose what I celebrate and what I see, you know, with whatever's unfolding before my eyes. And that's where I got tripped up this last week as I got caught up in the fear of outcome and the emotional investment and the choices. And, man, my 20-year-old yeah. gently and respectfully put me back in check very clearly. And I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for reminding me my communication was not matching my intention. And I love that you're able to tell me that. And thanks, thanks for the feedback. And we both laughed about it. So, I mean, there's that opportunity every single day of every single week. And she could have done that in a totally different way, Catherine, couldn't she? Absolutely. She, she, she could have told you in a completely different way. You know, you know, as I see with many parents, you know, when the young people there and they say, you know, this is the same stuff that you're telling me day in, day out, you know, and, and, they can respond in two ways. They can choose to kind of reset you in whichever way they see, you know, with a gentle right. prompt, you know, that they are being successful. Or they can go the other way, which normally involves fingers or shouting. Right. You know, it's, it's, they can choose. So I'm quite happy. Um, and I, I say that to Cameron when he, he actually pulls me up. And, you know, what Cameron will say for me from time to time is, you know, you need to practice what you preach, Dad. Yep. And, yep, you know, yep. that's his kind of line. That's his, that's his reset to me. Yep. You know, I, I don't take it personally. You know, I, I just take that that is, that is Cameron. That's his way to reset me when I'm getting off track and right. sort of sneaking into other moral of the story and when I'm the lad kind of conversation. Um, so and that's healthy. That's healthy because it shows to being independent as well. Right. Well, and I think, you know, I, I talk about this all the time too, Alan. I think that when we are honest and when we're not, we're not in our emotional reactive brain and when we're truly thinking things with clarity, I think when my kids reset me, whether they're four or they're 14 or they're 20, they've always been right. And when I have that mm-hmm. grace and that humility to say, 
damn it, I don't want to be wrong right now, but they're they're actually really right. I've been communicating the wrong thing or I've been projecting fear or I've been giving energy to the negative or whatever it has been. I can't think of a time when my kids haven't been right. And so, you know, for me as a parent, mm. whether it's little guys or big guys, humility is a big part of it because, man, our kids are attuned to the truth of where our energy is showing up and what we're projecting to mm. them. And we quiet ourselves enough to listen to the feedback, at least in my experience, they're always right. Yeah, and you know that, that's what I, when I'm working with my own kids. But you know, with well, sorry, when I parent my own kids, and when I'm working with other families, you know, but it's, it's a great example of self-control for children. It's a great example uh, for you to, you know, especially if you're you're working or you know, parenting a really challenging child, to to, to recognise them and to, to feed that back to them that if they have reset you in a way which is just to say, you know, mom, you know. Do you see what you're doing here? That's showing great self-control at that moment in time because they could tell you in a wholly different other way. Yep. You know, they can do mm-hmm. that through words or be behaviors that can be destructive or voting with their feet and not coming back. Right. You know, what they are doing is they're opening the communication to let you know rather than just taking it off to the bedroom feeling angry and frustrated about that. So, you know, within that, it's showing self-control, it's showing diplomacy, it's showing mediation. You know, and these are great qualities that, you know, we want to see, especially in teens, because those are the kind of qualities when they are outside our house and in the world of education and in the world of socializing with friends out and about is, you know, being able to mediate and have diplomacy and show self-control are the essential qualities and attributes to keep them safe. Right. Right. And I think even the times when they don't show fantastic self-control, you know, and they, they step away or they stomp away or they flip you off and down the hallway or whatever it is, we can still go back and say, thank you for resetting. I love that you're not swearing at me now. And I got to tell you, you had a really good point. And I'm sorry for, you know, whatever. My, sometimes that's the outcome too. And that's a beautiful way to reset the well, whole I... conversation, the whole moment. Mm. And, and so for many of the young people as well, Catherine, though, you, and, and again, when we were dealing with some of the most challenging children in, in say, in setting in sort of community homes and secure settings, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, a, a young person telling me to do one, you know, or swearing at me, yep. it, for me, is still showing self-control. Absolutely. Yep. Because yep. They, they could make other choices which yep. are more destructive for them and for me. Um, so for me, they are still communicating with me, you know, wanting for me to reset myself. So for me not to constantly be droning with a conversation, I'm trying to hammering the point home. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, you know, I'm going to give congratulations to that. I am I'm going to let it simmer and I'm going to let it um, cool down that situation. But I will revisit that and explain to them how they did show self-control in that moment because they... They didn't show balance. They weren't destructive. You know, I right. knew what you were trying to say to me, but I wasn't listening at that moment in time. And maybe what I needed to hear was somebody to shock me into closing my mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. You loving this? T- this is right around your corner, Miss Stephanie. <laughs> Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> I for- I've uh, several times through this conversation have forgotten that I am a part of this conversation. <laughs> Because it's 
so invigorating. I'm loving hearing you guys. I don't, I don't even want to speak. I just want to just keep talking, please. Because, yes, I'm like, you should see the notes I'm taking on what you guys are saying. I am ready. I feel like I'm ready for teenagers now. <laughs> and I still have a few years, so. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't think ever, anybody's ever ready for teenagers, Stephanie. <laughs> uh, I don't know. They're still wow. my favorite year so far. Allie, I love teenagers. They drive themselves places and they cook for me. It's fantastic. Ooh, I do oh, like well, that. You are blessed. You are blessed. Yeah. I am blessed. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking as, as I'm I'm kind of having little thoughts that are coming to my head too as we're talking in the idea of you know knowing our triggers and you know I'm picturing over the years people who will send me a picture of maybe their their child with you know a screenshot of the child with their arms crossed giving that stink eye look and what do I do about this and like you're talking about Ali that idea of don't you love it that this kid's not swearing at you or throwing a chair at you or whatever it is and so knowing what our hot buttons are knowing what our triggers are Stephanie because for one person it might be their kid telling them to f off and for somebody it's spitting mm-hmm. in their face and another one it's not coming home when they're supposed to and knowing right. what it is that gets your goat because you got to be clear your kids know what it is. And how do we make sure that we have that self-control and that ability to reset when our kids know exactly what it is that's going to get us really riled up and making sure we don't t- you know, take the bait, so to speak, or follow the lead or whatever it might be. I think about one of my favorite stories is my kiddo who, not my own kiddo, but a kiddo who had me in a headlock. I don't know if you've heard that story, Stephanie, but I had a kiddo who was mad at me about something. He was 14, and he said, I'm going to come smash your face in. I'm going to put you in a headlock. And he walked over and he put me in a headlock. And I knew this kid well enough to know in this particular situation he had no desire to hurt me. He wanted me to change my mind on the plan of what we were doing. And I was able in that moment to say, I love how you're being so gentle to me. Even though you have me in a headlock, you're not hurting me in any way. And that shows what an amazing heart you have. You know, in this situation, being so attuned to the child that we're standing next to, which I'm assuming in your situation, Allie, may not be always as possible with working in kids in residential. Like maybe you don't know quite as well, but staying in that moment and seeing it for the truth of what it is versus going down that rabbit hole of getting tripped up by X, Y, or Z big behavior um, is what gets us mm-hmm. through these hard times and out the other side with some be- beautiful success on the other end of it instead of whatever. Like I'm sure you've been working like a champ out there or a, a warrior of the, the non, non-restraint, non non-holding kids down, not calling mm. the cops and having them in hand- handcuffs for something that didn't have to go that direction. I'm always struck, Allie, by your yeah, picture, think, your video of the kid being poked. You know, we're going to rally these kids in a corner and then we're going to jab on them and yeah. see what happens. And how do we not go there with these yeah. children? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that a really important message to, to get across all the time in this, Catherine, if we can grip this, I think life becomes easier. So, you know, behavior for me is just a form of communication. Mm-hmm. It, and especially mm-hmm. within this age group, is they're mm-hmm. trying to communicate with us. Now, if we just kind of deal, and I know in the approach we talk about living in the moment, I get that. But what we tend to do is become more alive in the moments when behavior gets richer, when behavior yep. gets more mm-hmm. dynamic. Yep. That's yep. when we start, you know, really living in the, in the moment. And, and so mm-hmm. for me... You know, the work that I do about that aggression and, you know, I talk about the aggression cycle is that we have this situation where, where I, what I believe is that once we're starting to be able to read communication at its early stages, and that's why we, we have to be so present with these kids. You know, we have to be present in 
not proximity, but understanding where the child is yeah. and understanding that that behavior can be an escalation because what we're doing at this moment in time is, is not reading, reading the behavior that's taking place. And if we come from a place believing this is going to escalate by saying, don't do that, if you do that again, you see yep. what happens, this is your last chance. Yep. You know, then what we're going to see is, is a child trying to communicate with you. But especially in the teens, they're not going to say, oh, I feel a little bit awkward at the moment and I'm not feeling so great. And, you know, <laughs> they're not going to do it that way. It's not in right. their language. It's not there. So what they are doing is displaying to you. And so when that behavior starts escalating, what we tend to do is join that escalation. We start throwing the party. And yep. all the child is doing as the team is mirroring us as we're becoming more engaged, involved in this kind of reaction that's taking place is, is that the more that the child will up it. And, you know, I, I've said so many times, you know, to people, you know, one of the greatest skills of working with teenagers is knowing when to close our mouth. Yep. It's one of the most powerful strategies in the world, which is to, to kind of just take that breath and reset ourselves in that moment and start listening to what you're saying. And yep. once you start listening to your own words, you know, we become more attuned in recognizing that, you know, I talk about it being a card game. It, it, the child is, is, is really kind of sucking you in to the situation. So instead of getting, you know, how do I deal? And I hear this question so many times. Well, he's being violent. She's being destructive. You know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I want to take them half an hour before that. And I want for them to talk about, you know, what did you see? You know, what did you see the young person was doing? How did they look like they were feeling? Were yep. they frustrated? Were they bored? Were they anxious? Were they irritable? And what we need to start doing then is that's when the greatest piece of work comes in in relation to that more challenging behavior. Instead of getting involved in this, I always said the wrong thing, then, but something storm that can take place, we join it. <laughs> Great self-control, Ali. And what we need, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, you know, but, but it's that element for me is that if we just can view behavior as a way of communication. Yep. And exactly yep. with other things, you know, kids being outside, the bedrooms being a tip, refusing to get a shower, refusing to go to school, you know, talking back, lying, you know, if you can view it as a form of communication, life becomes far more easier. Absolutely, and I think you know, this is why I always say, by its very definition, nurtured heart approach, whether you're practicing from the littles all the way up or with teenagers, by its very design, it puts us in the position with its reflection, active recognition, whatever tools, our techniques to say exactly that. I'm attuned to what I see happening, and I get what you're communicating to me, and that's one of the beautiful things of it is the more we practice, the more we get savvy at seeing it and not reacting to the behaviors but reflecting back our understanding of communicative intent. So I spot on it. By design, it does exactly what you're talking about, Ali, I believe. I do believe that, which is why I'm so passionate about this approach. It gets you there by practicing and working the tenets of nurtured mm -hmm. heart approach. 
Absolutely. That's it. And if we keep that mantra of the three stands in that situation, I mean, we, we can become, you know, we can talk about it till the cows come home about, you know, how we do things and, you know, how we can intervene and how we can do this. But if actually we, we take that step back to the three stands and get right. it back to simplicity, right. it becomes so much more easy at that moment. Sometimes we, we become so obsessed with looking for the minute detail Right. And trying to have an understanding. Why did that occur? What was the reasons behind that? You know, there must have been something there. You know, let's go and get mm-hmm. an assessment. You know, right. the, the, the reality is, the stages, if we go back to the three stands, that's how I keep in control of myself. Right. You know, I know I'm on the ball when I'm keeping to the three stands. The second I come away from that and try to do, you know, CSI Manchester or CSI Portland, <laughs> you know, that's when that's when it goes wrong. That's when right. it goes pear shape. Right. Right. Absolutely. So when hey, things go wrong, we go back up. to that reflection. Oh, you can't end it yet, Stephanie. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel, I feel so wrong. But I have to end it, you guys. I have to do it. We're gonna have to have another conversation then another time because this conversation is endless. Um, every time either of you open your mouth, there's just another pearl of wisdom that's coming out, and I'm so grateful for it. I've really, truly, truly taken a lot out of this conversation, and I know that our listeners are probably nodding their heads in agreement with me right now. Um, that being said, it is time to wrap up today's discussion, um, and I do have a few quick announcements to make, and then I would love to come back to the two of you for one last little bit of, per- of wisdom, if you guys want to share a small one, because we are quite out of time at this point. Um, so I would like to invite our listeners to join us for future Nurtured Heart Approach podcasts, either by following us at Blog Talk Radio or at childrensuccessfoundation.com forward slash NHA hyphen podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter or Facebook by clicking the icon. Also, registration for our summer 2017 certified training intensives or CTIs are now open to register for Sacramento or West Orange CTIs go to the childrensuccessfoundation.com website under the training tab. You can also register for the three stands e-course on our website, childrensuccessfoundation.com. This is a free e-course that is delivered directly to your email inbox. These emails are spaced about three days apart to allow for application and reflection before the next one arrives. All NHA podcasts are are recorded and archived for on-demand listening pleasure. Feel free to share the link to our channel here at blogtalkradio.com forward slash nurtured heart approach. Okay, back to you guys, Ali and Catherine. Do either of you have any last-minute <clears throat> parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Parting words of wisdom. I guess for me, circling back to don't be afraid of teenagers, right? Like Ali's saying, and it's certainly my mantra, uh-huh. behaviors, communication. So you know, we don't have to get tripped up by behaviors by challenging you know, big stuff when we're thinking about it as communication and, and, and remembering that our communication, our behavior is also communication. And as the mm-hmm. adult in the room, are we making sure that we're very energetically aligned with the messages that we're trying to give these kids? And are our messages really aligned with the idea of growing the qualities of competence and independence and problem solving and tenacity and resilience and all those things that we want for our kids? And if not, that's our, that's our job. Mm, yeah. Okay, thanks, Catherine. And for me, it's a very quick one, but it's invest in your own relationships with the important people in your life. So whether it's your partner, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's your friends, you know, investing in those relationships 
and finding a place, you know, to 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 be close to somebody and to share with somebody will be a great support with you when you're parenting or working with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, both of you. You have to invest in a relationship in order to see it grow and blossom, right? All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much again for coming back to the podcast. Um, if For our listeners, if you jumped in on the June podcast but missed the May, the May podcast, which was the first installment of this conversation, go back to um, the website, childrensuccessfoundation.com, and you can um, find the May podcast, which is the first com- bit of this conversation, and it was oh so wonderful. So thank you guys so much, and take care. Have a great day, Catherine. Have a great evening. Allie, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Stephanie. Okay. Love to You're London. Welcome. Bye, thank Allie. You, yes, yes. Hey, thank you. Bye, Bye. guys. Bye. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Any stories shared in this broadcast are amalgams of experiences based on the use of the Nurtured Heart Approach by our hosts and our guests and are not based on any particular person, child, or adult.